0: Welcome to the Aviation Safety Community Podcast, presented by the Aviation Safety Community. This podcast follows a series of conversations with your host, Grenville Hudson, and field experts to discuss aviation safety, the latest trends, and industry insights. Well, hello, and welcome to the Aviation Safety Community Podcast. I'm Grenville Hudson, and with me is Jessica Graham from the Australian Business Aviation Association. Hi, Jessica. How are you going?
1: Hi, Grenville. I'm really well, and thank you for the opportunity of being here, having a chat with you today.
0: No worries. Look, um, I was hoping you might be able to give us a bit of a background about yourself and uh, and also about the ABAA in general.
1: Certainly. Um, I'm currently in a position uh, after about going on for a year of being the new uh, CEO of the ABAA Um, and uh, I stepped into that role after my predecessor was there for about 20 years. So I've had big shoes to fill in this past uh, almost 12 months and um, a a steep and rewarding learning curve. Uh, It's a position in the industry that comes at it from a different angle to that which I've been in before and um, I guess my career trajectory if you like in business aviation was that I I came into it having had a a couple of different careers before that and then uh, landed in the industry by happy accident I suppose um I was fortunate enough to have some some people I knew uh outside of the industry identify a few what they thought were attributes in me that might fit well into the industry and um you know with a, a bit of work along the way, it, it turns out I hope that they were mostly correct <laughs> and, uh, i so i found cool. my, <laughs> I found myself coming into it from a, a cabin service um, perspective initially, which um worked well with some of my previous business and events experience and um having done that for about eight or nine years i i was fortunate enough again to field a couple of um, full-time job offers with different operators that I'd contracted to along the way and built some really great relationships, and um, I landed with a small operator at Melbourne's Essendon Airport, and um, it was a really great small business with a strong history in business aviation going back as as far, depending on how you looked, going back as far as the the 50s, 60s, um, and then through to the 80s, 90s in support of the the mining and resources sector aviation um, at the time. And uh, and then at that point was running uh, aircraft um, for charter, uh, citation jets, and uh, was also running a maintenance organisation and a jet handling facility or an FBO. So I arrived into that as their general manager about uh, nine years ago and um, was quickly exposed to a lot of facets of the business. So uh, again, a steep learning curve, but a really great company to, to be in with some great people who were very inclusive from the outset and let me learn a lot about different facets of the industry quite quickly and uh, let me learn, let me fail along the way occasionally <laughs> and gain the, the experience. So I had a great experience of in the industry and having been exposed to the Business Aviation Association during that time, um, I engaged with uh, a few subcommittees and um, was eventually on their executive committee and then um, have come to the other side of things and now I represent that industry um, as the, the head of the ABAA.
0: Mm. And and tell me what um, what activities uh, is the association basically focused on at the moment?
1: Yeah, and- sure. the The strongest um, commitment has been, at least in the past. Uh, two years or so and it is ongoing although we've come to the other side I think of the the peak of the issue has been the regulatory change that has been um rolled out it's as you know been an unprecedented overhaul of the um civil aviation regulations and particularly the flying operations rules in um in Australia and uh that was quite burdensome on a lot of our operators and um look business aviation in Australia, it's it's representative of a very small segment of um, of the aviation industry broadly, um, but nonetheless, um, they've got they were they were tasked with getting up to speed at um, a level which had previously been requested of the scheduled airlines, and our members mm-hmm. were under resourced and under prepared for that. And um, look, there was a general sentiment, um, quite openly, I think, that um, the regulator wasn't. in a position to support that through their support material and and they they had a a lack of understanding about um, the way that we do what we do and how we're resourced to do it. So the big thing that we've been working on there has been advocating with the regulator to to increase their understanding, um, the way that they can help us through guidance material to comply with those new regulations mm. and support us in the future for any future changes. So um, most of what we've been doing has been advocacy on behalf of the industry with government stakeholders, and that continues. Um, it's with CASA, it's with Air Services Australia, uh, the Department of Infrastructure and various advisory boards. Um, mm. Other issues we've managed in the past are uh, access to um, to Sydney uh, operations during Curfew, um, access to infrastructure at various airports, um, those sorts of of issues, and we have um, also put a lot of effort during, uh, at least my predecessor ostensibly, um, a lot of effort of his time went into um, managing the impact of COVID on individual operators and right. uh, and the, the red tape, if you like, and the restrictions and negotiating the restrictions around border movements internationally and domestically that went with that. So we were able to provide that service for members during that time, right. which we hope was very helpful.
0: And, and post-COVID, we've seen probably a, a, an absolute boom in business aviation, haven't we?
1: yeah absolutely and um that's been worldwide of course driven mm. most um notably by the us market and mm. uh, i think europe and and asia followed suit and um in our own region we were hampered a little bit by the ongoing restrictions and they they lasted as everyone or no, a little longer, in some cases substantially longer than the rest of the world. So Mm. movement was impeded whether you're on a scheduled service or a a business jet there for some time. So that held back the growth a little bit um, and it did prolong that period where our people were not working and not doing what they love to do, which is particularly in the case with the pilots, of course, is go flying. So that itself had an impact. But after... um, after those restrictions lifted, and perhaps during that time, people had a chance to consider the aircraft they wanted to fly in when the Mm -hmm. restrictions lifted, Um, there was quite a trend for um, new people coming into the market with with jets and also those uh, operators and owners with aircraft actually uh, often uh, buying new aircraft. And so we saw in Australia... uh, Sort of a general fleet renewal and an increase in the number of business jets, Mm. uh, and in the types coming into Australia too, which has been interesting. But we are, we have had a boom time, and um, and that's an exciting time for the industry.
0: Mm. And what about in terms of pilot resources? You know, so many people have left the industry during COVID, and and that has that impacted upon um, business aviation too.
1: Yeah, I think it has, and it, it's something that's industry-wide. It's uh, it's in general aviation uh, broadly, but definitely specifically in business aviation, we're subject to the same pressures. Um, COVID being an interesting time with people having that hiatus, I think, and um, having the opportunity to understand work-life balance uh, or mm-hmm. begin to think about those sorts of issues. Um, perhaps those who were on the cusp of retirement within two or three or four or five years may have had that process accelerated through uh, desire or by, um, by force uh, being encouraged to take that early retirement. Um, that happened in our industry as well as in the airlines. So we have lost that um, lost part of that upper end talent pool. Um, and mm-hmm. then at the same time people have had uh, a bit of a circuit breaker about what work-life balance means to them and whether the business aviation industry is something that supports that going forward. So we are at a bit of an interesting time there where... um, we're not necessarily bringing people into the industry as, as quickly as we can. And as people would know, that's a, a lengthy and expensive process to onboard new pilots and engineering, um, is, is subject to the similar, to similar pressures. Mm. Um, and we're a little behind, I think in being able to support, um, the workforce or to bring in the workforce we need to support what's still a growing segment of the industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know the the I guess the job specification for a business jet pilot is so different to an airline pilot or pretty much anything out there, and uh, and that makes it even more difficult, doesn't it, to find the right people for the jobs?
1: It certainly does. And when I talk about it, attracting and retaining people, it, it is you're quite right. It's attracting the right people and then being able to nurture them and grow them. Um, professionally, that they remain engaged and can stay within the industry, but it's um it's really a, a pretty special part of the industry in that it's very diverse and it can provide you with a, a very varied. Um, work day no two days are ever the same really mm. of course unlike a scheduled airline you run um, you're going to different destinations all the time um, if you're working on the ground you're handling different types of aircraft all the time uh, you're um, you're doing some incredible travel but business aviation by its nature is um, an ad hoc or on-demand product mm. um, so the, um, the the aspect there is that uh, it's pretty hard on its people. So you um, you will find that you may not be home for your best mate's wedding, or um, you can't plan ahead and make that six months commitment in advance because you don't know what your flying schedule is going to be. Um, and the current workplace pressures are exacerbating that too, um, because there's not a, as many people to perhaps fill those gaps on a, a casual basis if if you're. Mm wanting to be away so it is challenging but the the payoff if you are passionate about it and uh and you really sink your teeth into it is that you have a really um you know exciting and diverse experience it um, opens you up to some incredible people diverse range of life experience and travel Uh, Mm. but it's not for everybody
0: no for sure no that that's true and i guess um In terms of, uh, well, I guess in the industry in general, we've seen a lot of things happening with, as we just talked about, pilots, uh, losing pilots. And and there's also been issues with aircraft maintenance and and aircraft that have been on the ground for a long time and getting, you know, recommissioning them. And I'm sure there's a lot of airplanes that will never go back in the air again. But... uh, Maybe business jets have been a bit isolated from that side of things because of the maintenance regimes that they're under and the sort of hours that they fly.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think that's correct. They're typically low utilisation aircraft, uh, and, yeah. and that's particularly the case in Australia. Um, and yes, as you say, they're subject to pretty strict and uh, regimented maintenance maintenance um, schedules. Um, I, I think... Perhaps it's not so much the aircraft that have needed recommissioning and consideration there, but we're also working on the impact that that has had on its on the pilots and um Mm. the people who may have been stood down for some time. And as I mentioned before, um, all the pilots I know want to fly airplanes, and when they're not doing that, Mm. um, I think we're still understanding what that hiatus over COVID has done Mm. as far as their well-being and their sense of professional satisfaction and worth um, and to come back into that having had that time aside from it brings its own issues and um, I know Cass is looking into that I know it's playing into um, a lot of research around human factors and so on with the stress of it um, and of course we also have there um, at this point uh, in the pandemic uh, post-pandemic we have a huge amount of our um, population who have had COVID and we don't Mm. yet have enough time with that in the rearview mirror to understand what the full impact of that is physically on, um, on our people too. So uh, Mm. in many cases they've had, they've had to go back through their day and and go through processes of requalification medically to, um, or reassessment medically to make sure that they're they're fit to fly again, and that in itself can bring stresses. So
0: perhaps yeah. it's not yeah. so much
1: the um, the tools, but it's the people who have um, have been a little isolated and and not considered fully in uh, in coming back to work after COVID. Mm.
0: Do you think we need more young people coming into the industry?
1: I do, <laughs> I really do. I was I was talking to a, a head of flying department. Uh, uh, flight department recently, as someone you know well also, and, and his feeling was that um, compared to 20 or 30 years ago when he came into it, um, there were a lot um, a lot of younger people, and, and I'll be quite honest, he said a lot of younger blokes, and comparatively, mm. uh, and, and I think that's a positive trend. It wasn't one that was immediately evident to me, um, but uh, I, I think there's been a, a confluence of factors there that have led us to not engage Um, and attract younger uh, people coming in. Uh, In terms of engineering pathways, it's it's a convoluted training pathway. Uh, There are significant get-in costs and costs along the way for operators and for individuals taking that pathway. Um, And in terms of training pilots, uh, the the structure of, of that is that typically these pilots need to go almost entirely um, the case. They have to go internationally to, um, to do their initial and their subsequent recurrent simulator training. And um, that's an enormous cost. Mm. Um, and it's it's one that is borne by the operator of the aircraft or the owner of the aircraft, depending on the company structure. Um, but uh, it is a, a high cost. And um, as an industry, I think in some cases pre-COVID, and perhaps that's an enduring thing, as we have relied upon um, pilots who have uh, a huge amount of experience and knowledge of both their aircraft type that they fly and the industry um, uh, to fill those gaps, and we've relied upon them. But, of course, they are getting towards that um, level of seniority where they want to um, start retiring, and I, mm-hmm. I fear there's not... Um, not enough being done to ensure that those next generations are, are coming through. Um, I think we need to focus on that. We need to focus on the visibility of the industry that it is there for those who have a passion for aviation um, mm. that they can be presented with general aviation and business aviation as a, a real a realistic pathway by comparison well alongside if you like the airlines. Um, mm. But, uh, but I, think, I think we would do well to, um, to start working on programs that will bring younger pilots and, uh, and engineers and, and on-the-ground professionals, management staff as well. There's a lot of different roles that are done within our industry outside of just flying these aeroplanes. So yeah. I think we do really well to bring in younger people.
0: Yeah. And, and just to touch on, on women in aviation, and, um, and you've told us a bit about your journey uh you know to where you are now but what do you think the opportunities are within the business aviation world for for women
1: i think it's (laughs) such a complex question (laughs) and um, it's one i'm sometimes hesitant to to speak about uh Uh, just being a woman in the industry doesn't make me an expert on the complexities of the issue and um, but it is certainly something about which i'm passionate and I would, would love to have some input um, in, in some change, because change is, is what we need. Um, I was fortunate enough to attend uh, the Australian Aviation Hall of Fame inductee um, dinner a couple of weeks ago at the um, Historic Aircraft Restoration Society Museum. It was a fabulous night, um, and one of the um, celebrated inductees was Deborah Ward. Who was the first commercial pilot, a female pilot in um, mm. in Australia in the 1970s and she famously took on Reginald Ansett and the head of Ansett at the time and she did so by a uh, federal court, I believe, and was mm-hmm. ultimately successful uh, mm-hmm. and the room that I was in at that that dinner was full of heads of industry and government stakeholders. Um, and men and women, particularly, I suppose it would have been, as often there is, a uh, majority of men, and the sentiment in the room was overwhelmingly positive and uh, in, in her, in the acknowledgement of her achievement, it was resoundingly strong and that was fabulous to be a part of but I couldn't help but go home and reflect the next day and think well that was only that was the 70s and we had perhaps zero percent women in aviation in pilot roles at least Mm -hmm. and here we are 40 to 50 years later and um there there are different statistics out there but um even the best of them suggest that we're at about four to five percent of um, pilots in commercial aviation uh, are female, mm. and um, that's pretty woeful. Um, mm. yeah, it, is. <laughs> um, it is. and and look, there are there are other roles um, that are better represented, but but engineering and um, and technical pilot um, flying roles certainly are woefully underrepresented um it, there's a there's a lot of issues there, there some of them are, are the system and some of them are um again visibility of the career to young girls and young women uh, some of it is cultural and social um, and it's it's a really difficult issue for general aviation broadly and specifically business aviation from where I'm coming from to to address that but it's a bit like the rest of the world seems to have um come on board and can fully appreciate and harness the benefits of a gender diverse workforce but um aviation seems a little bit to have missed that memo i think Mm,
0: so yeah no for sure and i know it's similar in industries like engineering and, and that side of things it is hard to Hold people, but anyway, I, I think it's changing. But yeah, it's just slow and too slow, probably. I,
1: I think so. I, I think yeah. it's it's going to take government buy in, and we have a great opportunity now with the change of government, and we have um, a female minister of infrastructure who um, I believe is is looking at initiatives to support women coming into aviation and starting to redress that balance. Mm. Um, I think that's key. I think um, industry can't do it alone because a lot of these operations are running on pretty thin margins, and to be able to mm. support um, a workplace that uh, really encourages and retains women through different stages of their life, um, they're going to need some support from government to um to be able to do that and sustain mm. that and and finally reap the benefits um, mm. uh, so uh, I think we've got a good opportunity there to um to try. Mm. For that
0: and that sort of comes into another area of like corporate responsibilities and what, what are your thoughts there in terms of where corporates should be from a responsibility
1: but, point of view look uh, I think I think generally um in, in society it's it's a case that corporations are by necessity needing to be more transparent and accountable around their impact um, uh, particularly if you take as an example their impact around climate change or their commitment to climate change. And, and aviation is um, certainly no exception. In fact, probably quite the opposite. They're a, a standout mm-hmm. in terms of media attention. Um, the, the statistics uh, suggest that aviation in general worldwide is uh, responsible for around 2% of carbon emissions. And um, business aviation is, is a small percentage of that, I think also around 2%. and. Um, I hope i'm not misrepresenting statistics there just based on my my reading and my understanding from some of the uh, the initiatives i've been involved with but um so but but nonetheless that um it, it is incumbent on us as an industry to um take measures to begin to mitigate that and um and that's something that I think is driven by again by um collaborative um, work globally the aviation um, industry globally has committed through the ICAO uh, member states commitment just recently to um, net zero emissions uh, by 2050 and um, business aviation as a community through the International Business Aviation Council had committed to that uh, that long-term aspirational goal about 12 months before that so um, as an industry we are Uh, one that uh, is often at the forefront of um, taking on new technologies and positioned well to adopt some of those new things. Um, But it will take a very multifaceted approach. Uh, We need to look at at supporting initiatives around sustainable aerofuels. That's Australia is a long way behind in terms of its availability, access and infrastructure to those those initiatives. But there are small steps that people can take. Uh, Even small operators can do small, do little things to start to build their toolbox, if you like, towards um, mitigating their their footprint. And I think it's important Mm. that they do that. I think that there is a, a public expectation that is growing in momentum day by day and uh, uh, having had a little bit to do with uh, a recent carbon exchange program that the International Business Aviation um, Council has uh, put together. um, The feedback we have from some of the the test cases or the early adopters internationally is that um, they, they're not only finding that, um, that they're getting a, a positive benefit there from being involved uh, in that process and it's helping them meet their uh, obligations under uh, CORSIA and other carbon uh, reporting programs internationally, but they're beginning to see a positive um, benefit uh, economically in that um, their clients are beginning to expect um, to have uh, that carbon exchange or offset um, option available to them. And it begins to set them apart as a company that is stepping up and doing some of these things. And, and I think that's important. And um,
0: yeah.
1: Those social and, pressures are a little... Sorry, I think uh, there's, there's those social... Uh, social pressures, I suppose, are around that, but uh, they're also the sorts of pressures that are going to be exerted around um, engaging the workforce and, and becoming more gender diverse and um, diverse in terms of backgrounds and, and skills too. So I, I think mm. business aviation in particular has been a little bit uh, siloed historically, and, and now is a time where we need to think a little bit broadly outside of ourselves and see where our responsibility sits alongside other um aspects of the corporate community because it is what will soon be expected unilaterally.
0: Yeah and you mentioned uh, IBAC um, the International Business Aviation Council how does that interact with the ABAA, all these acronyms, sorry.
1: Yes. <laughs> I have to say that's one of my steepest learning curves coming into aviation is trying to manage the acronyms. I had to have a little ready rec there written on my, my desk and uh, I, I'm still finding more and more every day. But yeah. Um, yeah. IBAC is uh, headquartered in Montreal and um, they they are, being in Montreal, they're close by to ICAO there and they have um, some representative status um, at IKO on behalf of the business aviation community globally so um so they actually are made up of uh I think it's close to 20 member associations from around the world and um, the Australian Business Aviation is is one of them and uh, others like uh, MEBA, which is the Middle Eastern Business Aviation Association. Um, The NBAA in America is, of course, probably the most well-recognised business aviation association globally. But there are also some really small ones that are coming along. Ireland in particular has just founded their own business aviation um, association to represent the interests of their members there. so it's um it, it's been for me a really rewarding aspect of my job to understand where the Australian uh, industry sits against and within the landscape of its um, international partners because of course we are um, those aircraft within a membership that are operating internationally uh, mm. doing so within these regions. and so um, i have I found it really rewarding to make those contacts. Internationally, and and have that bank of people on whom I can draw to um, to assist not just me, but also to assist my members who might all of a sudden find that they um, have been tasked with travelling to somewhere fairly remote in Africa, for example. And mm-hmm. I'm able to reach out to a, um, a colleague or associate at um, the African Business Aviation Council, so or, or association. So um, that's yeah. been invaluable. And again, because because we're a, a little part of the industry, and uh, we don't employ huge numbers of People, um, we uh, we find sometimes we can be a little bit insular. So those global connections are really very important.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, Jessica, it's been really great talking to you, and uh, really enjoyed uh, listening to you about uh, business aviation, not just in Australia but around the world, and some of the challenges that it faces. So, um, look, I hope we can have you on on the uh, podcast again, maybe. Uh, next year sometime and uh, talk about some of the developments as they unfold.
1: Yeah, thank you, Greml. I'd be, be happy to do that. I have been a supporter of what the, the community is doing there and um, and your initiatives have been really worthwhile to the community in, in general in business aviation. And lots of our members have been really complimentary about that. It's a, a fantastic thing to be on board with. And um, I think in a, in a similar spirit, the ABAA will have a few initiatives in the new year around um, peer-to-peer mentoring and networking that will um, will hopefully support some of those goals as well so i very much look forward to it and thank you for your time today
0: thank you thank you for your kind words anyway we'll see you later bye-bye thank you for listening to the aviation safety community podcast please don't forget to visit our website www.aviationsafetycommunity.com.au we'll see you in the next episode